Charles Spurgeon once said that discernment is not knowing the difference between right and wrong, uh, but knowing the difference between right and almost right. Right? Discernment is the difference in knowing the difference between right and almost right. And today, it seems that we need this knowledge uh, more than ever before. Making wise decisions, although challenging at times, and that because the life is not just black and white as maybe I would like it to be. Um, uh, making wise decisions seems all but abandoned in our generation, in our culture today. I've said for quite some time that... Uh, the world we're living in feels like we're in the time of judges, uh, where everybody is doing what is right in their own eyes. You can find those uh, passages in Judges 17 or Judges 21, but uh, this way of living, of just doing things your own way, ignoring what God says, just, just making your own uh, path, is actually expressly condemned by God. In Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 8, we read, You shall not do what we are doing here today, meaning live uh, by your own rules, every man doing what is right in his own eyes. You shall not do this. And yet, and yet here we are. <laughs> We're living in a culture where we just do what we want, and postmodernism is most likely to blame for this. It's presented us again with uh, this theory that there are no absolutes in life and that we should just live accordingly. But sadly, uh, we have accepted this premise without any fight whatsoever. We've not given any resistance. I don't know that, to be honest, I don't know that many people in our culture today have any fight left in them. Uh, and I believe the reason why we don't have any fight left in us is because we're told at every turn that if we resist in any way, if we have any kind of uh, opposition, we're being aggressive and evil and mean. It's just absurd. The church, who is uniquely positioned to lead in this particular area, that is the area of truth and discernment, uh, has not risen to the occasion. The church has not risen to the occasion. Uh, prudent judgment is not exactly how I would describe the state of the visible church, <laughs> right? Prudent judgment, it seems that we don't even know what we're doing. We're a fractured people. We're confused. Uh, we've confused ourselves about what is right as well as what is almost right. Add to that, we don't appear in the slightest to be marked by love, which is what the scripture tells us that we're supposed to be, at least not as God defines it. And by the way, I'm not talking about the criticism of the world. The world tells us all the time, aren't you supposed to be a people of love? And by that, they mean, aren't you supposed to be a people who just let everybody live life the way they want to, any way they want to? And the answer is no, that's not love, and nor are we supposed to be those people. Uh, we are living in extraordinary times, and they're going to require, these times are going to require an incredible amount of discernment uh, if we're to navigate well, if we're going to get through all of this. Uh, I know what this sounds like, though, right off the bat. It sounds pretty bleak. You're like, wow, Nathan, smile. We've got a horrible world that's not doing anything right, and the church isn't doing it either. Uh, but I do want to show you a way out. I do want to offer you some hope this morning. And, and how I can do that, how we can always gain hope, is by learning from God's Word. I want to teach you this morning uh, what God's Word says about discernment, about our desperate need for discernment, uh, and also about discernment's intimate connection with uh, what I will call love proper. We'll see that in 1 Corinthians. So we're going to be looking at four main scriptures. If you're a note taker, I'll say these slowly so that you can write them down, um, but I'll also 
reference them again, so you're not gonna you're not gonna lose them no matter what. The first one is Philippians chapter one, verses nine through eleven. Philippians chapter one, verses nine through eleven. The second one, First Corinthians chapter thirteen, verses four through eight a. First Corinthians chapter thirteen, verses four through eight a. The third one is Hosea chapter fourteen, verse nine. Hosea chapter 14, verse 9. And finally, we'll look at Hebrews chapter 5, verses 11 through 14. So we're going to begin with Paul's words uh, to the church at Philippi. Just as a bit of background, a bit of context, uh, at this point in Paul's life, he is awaiting trial in Rome. So he writes this letter to the church in Philippi as he awaits trial in Rome. This is actually what Roman prisons were made for. Uh, This is just different from our world, so I felt it was a fun detail to add to you. Uh, A prison was meant to to detain a person until their trial. It was never a means of punishment in the ancient world, at least not in Rome. It wasn't a means of punishment. Uh, So as Paul is being detained, we we read in another uh, instance that Paul is under house arrest. That would be uh, a lot more akin to what we're talking about here. So as Paul is awaiting his trial, he's conveying his love and gratitude for a particular church. But Paul is doing this with Timothy, his young apprentice. And the reason why Timothy is there is precisely because prisons didn't operate the way we operate prisons. It wasn't like Timothy came during visiting hours and wrote the epistles and then left later. It was, there, was, there was a lot of life that these two were able to live together and to be able to help each other uh, because of the way prison was structured there. So Timothy is also with Paul in writing Philippians chapter 1, uh, or Philippians in its entirety. Chapter 1 verses 9 through 11 though say this, and this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. The first observation that we need to see here is that Paul prays for the church uh, that their love would abound, okay? And that sounds like a great thing. Love is always and will always be paramount to God. But what does Paul mean by love abounding here? What love is Paul referring to? Well, he means two things if we're, if we're studying the whole of God's word, that Psalm 160 principle. Um, but he, he means something specific as well. So in uh, kind of in general, Paul has been consistent in his teaching. He expects the church all across the world to, uh, to grow in love proper. Again, that's 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 8a. But Paul, again, has a specific type of love in mind here, which we'll get to in just a second. Let's deal with love proper first. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8a, it'll be on the screen. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy Love is not jealous, love does not brag, it is not arrogant, love does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own, it is not provoked, it does not take into account a wrong suffered, it does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things, 
love never fails. Now, if the church operated in these particular expressions of love, I am absolutely convinced that our discernment issues would fall into place. Uh, But it's still important to remember that Paul is not talking about all of those things just in general when he says, I want your love to abound. Paul would never have meant uh, for the people to abound in love using the definition of love of a modern culture, right? A love that is primarily a feeling. Paul wouldn't let you just put that in place, okay? Paul is also not telling the people to love anyway, even though it's biblical. And here's what I want you to know. The Bible is not, or the, the lessons of the Bible, the instructions that are found in the epistles are not some sort of spiritual mad lib where you just get to put things in wherever you want. That's not how it works. The writers meant something by what they said, and we need to discover what they said. Now, is it, is it true that we should love, uh, that our love should abound in patience? Yeah, sure. That's just not what Paul said. Okay, that's what God might say, but that's not what Paul said here. Is it true that our love should abound in kindness and not being jealous of one another? Sure, that's awesome. We should grow in that love. It's just not what Paul said. I can't tell you how many times I've been in Bible studies and I've read a passage of scripture and I've asked this question, what does the text say? And then somebody responds and goes, well, I think what God is saying is, and I'm like, time out, what does the text say? And they go, well, I think what the the general gist of this is saying is, and I'm like, what does the words on the page say? Because we're we're guilty of this all the time. We just want to read it however we want to read it. Well, here's the danger of doing that. You miss out on very key ideas. Sure, the ideas that you're asserting may in fact be true. Praise God for that, right? But if all you ever do is insert your predisposed idea or the idea you think something says, you will miss what the text is actually saying, which means you're missing a part of the treasure. So I want to encourage you to make sure that you dive deeper when you're reading God's word. So let's look at this text again and find out exactly what Paul means by love. And I do believe that this will stir you because this is not what we hear when we define love. He says this, and this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more, and look here, in real knowledge and all discernment. See, the preposition here, in, is also rendered through, which means that love is displayed in and through the the gathering and the use of real knowledge and good discernment. You want to love people? Learn how to discern the times. You want to love people well, gather knowledge, and use it well. If you don't, brace yourselves, if you don't, you're being unloving, and most likely because you just choose to be ignorant. This is not good, church. And this is why the church seems to have nothing to say to a world that's spiraling out of control. Because we've not gathered any information. We don't know what God's word says. We're confused and lost at every turn. But discernment here and gathering and using knowledge is, according to Paul, true or biblical love. According to the Bible Sense Lexicon, the term real knowledge is defined as coming to understand something clearly and distinctly. That takes effort, guys, 
to understand something clearly and distinctly or as true and valid. And right there, it shoots postmodernism in the foot. Because if, if we are looking for something that is true and valid, there have to be absolutes. There have to be truths that we are searching for. Otherwise, we really can't stand on anything. Amen? You're not going to stand on anything. I think this is what is true. Well, that ain't helping anybody. So there is a truth or there is uh, something that is false, and we need to learn how to differentiate or discern between the two. The lexicon goes on and says, often this comes with a personal familiarity that necessitates a positive or negative reaction. This is our weakness in the church today. We gather information, but we have to make a decision about it. We gather information, but we have to actually stand on something. We're in a culture, we're in a world today where we would rather, we think we're being noble, but we would rather say, well, I'm not going to make a decision. Who can know the truth completely? I don't want to ruffle any feathers. This is absurd. This is absurd, church. And this is what we do all the time. Well, I can't, you just can't know. It's not that big of a deal. You can know, otherwise you're not walking in discernment. And if you're not walking in discernment, guess what, church? You're not walking in love, which is what we're called to. Uh, by understanding, though, by this gaining of understanding, I'm not talking about mere sympathy or acceptance of falling short, although this is included. Um, you, you've all heard people say this. Somebody, somebody falls short, uh, somebody commits a sin, and people say, hey, I understand. It's okay. We're all sinners. How many of you, we've all said that. That Okay, fine, God even does this with us, right? Psalm 103, he says, you're dust. He, he's not saying you dirtbags. He's saying you're dust. He's saying, I, underst I understand that you are frail, and I am compassionate. My loving kindness endures beyond your faithfulness. So instead of this, uh, instead of that kind of sympathy, what Paul is referring to is taking the time to understand what's actually going on so as to make a wise and a good judgment in your life or in somebody else's life so that you might be help to them. This is not just listening to somebody, and this is surely not just throwing around judgments. This is a both and, okay? Uh, we get into a lot of trouble with the passive Christian. The passive Christian says, well, I've heard you out. I've listened to you. And we think that by listening, we're, we're being loving. Well, thank you for listening. You should listen. But listening to no end is not complete love, okay? Uh, second, judgment without listening is stupid, <laughs> right? So all you're, you're, just, you're just being bigoted at that point. You've not, you've not weighed any thoughts here. And so you're just making a judgment. So the both and here is that when we're sitting down with a friend, if we're sitting down with somebody, we hear what's going on in their life, we listen thoroughly, we listen thoroughly. I'm not good at this. <laughs> we listen thoroughly, and then we make a judgment. Then we make decisions. That's the coolest sound I've ever heard. I don't even know what that is. Anyway, sounds like monkeys in the building. It's pretty cool. So the results of this kind of love are truly remarkable. Paul said to the Colossians this. He said, for this reason also... Since the day we heard of it, that was their faith and their love. You can look that up in verse 4. He said, we have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with, the same thing he wanted the Philippians to be filled with, knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. In other words, Paul wants them to abound in love. 
That's what we just read. And then this line, so that, so abounding in spiritual wisdom and understanding, being filled with knowledge, produces this, so that you will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. How many of you want to walk in that manner? Absolutely. So, so gain wisdom and understanding, use discernment, love properly the way God wants us to. You will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects. How many of you want to please the Lord? How many of you want to please the Lord in all respects? That's pretty cool. I want to do it in every aspect of my life. So please the Lord in all respects. Let's see, where am I at? Bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. How many of you want to bear fruit and increase in the knowledge of God? Yeah. Every one of us is saying yes to these. It's what we want. Here's, what we, here's where we fell short. We fell short because we said, well, then I guess this will either happen serendipitously, it's going to happen because the Spirit of God's just going to give me supernatural knowledge, or um, it's going to happen without my effort somehow, it'll happen because I go to church, whatever it is. No. This happens because you work at it. This happens because you give your heart to it. It's Dallas Willard who once said that the gospel is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. You can't earn your place before God. But God is not opposed to your effort. He's actually called you to stand firm. He's actually called you to push to the end. So all of this is a part of it. So Paul goes on to the Colossians and he says, uh, in, uh, according to his glorious might for the attaining of all steadfastness and patience, jealously giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. All of that sounds spectacular. In light of a growing understanding, this is possible. If you're not, you're going, to, you're going to keep questioning why you're in the same place you were in your Christian life 10 years ago. Well, you're there because you, you're not moving. You're not moving. You can't sit on your couch and say, Lord, lead me in the way everlasting. I'll sit here and eat chips until you do. Right? <laughs> it's not going to happen. He'll lead me in the way everlasting. He goes, okay, what does my word say? Now do it. I'll be with you the whole way. That's the call. So we have discernment, right? Discernment which can't be separated from knowledge. Discernment means the mental ability to understand and discriminate. I know there's a buzzword that is always viewed in the negative. To discriminate, because you can do that in a good way, between connections or between things. Especially as acquired through experience. Because as the old adage goes, experience is often the best teacher. So now what we have is knowledge and discernment as expressions of love. You've seen this, right? You guys get it. You're tracking with me. It's an expression of love to gain knowledge and to discern properly. And we see that this means having the ability to discriminate rightly because discrimination is not always bad. But we have to look at the why behind all of this or we're going to... Uh, we're going to Peter out. We're just going to stop doing what we're supposed to do, right? So Paul went on to say, he said, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. This piece is truly crucial, church. Uh, we are to grow in all knowledge and discernment so that we can discriminate not just between right and wrong, but between what is right and what is almost right. This is what this is what all of this is leading to. This is the why behind this. We are to grow in this love so that we can discern what is even the best approach in a situation. 
How many of you know that life is not black and white? Come on, you're not, you're not paying attention. How many of you know life is not black and white? How many of you wish it was? Every dang day, okay? But it's not. And when it's not, the Bible is, is clear. What we're looking for is to use the knowledge of God to discern what is the best course of action. I think about times where Paul talks about eating foods that are clean and unclean. And Paul says very clearly, you can look this up in Romans 14, it's very powerful, but, um, but Paul is very clear that all food is clean. But if your brother is struggling with it, you abstain, at least around your brother, you know, it's that you can still go home and eat whatever you want, right? But around your brother, you abstain, and in this way, that's a best practice. So it's not black and white. You can't just go, everything's clean, and the fact that you don't eat everything means you're of little faith and you're a worthless Christian. You do that and you won't have friends after long, okay? I've done, I did this. I did this. I was, I was zealous and stupid, <laughs> quite honestly. No comment, Barney. Anyway, so zealous and very stupid, but there are best practices in life, and what we need to do is see through discernment, what those best practices are. So we've got to do what is best. This enables us to be sincere in our faith. Why? Why does this, according to Paul's words, enable us to be sincere in our faith? Because faith isn't wishful thinking. Faith is something very big, very powerful. Faith has substance and faith has evidence. Read it in Hebrews 11, 1 and 2. When we weigh things rightly, we can then have an assurance, a faith that is on something, okay? So, but that comes through study, that comes through pursuing uh, these things. This will lead to walking blamelessly until the day of Christ. How are we called to walk, church? By faith. And those who don't walk by faith are sinning. That's what the scripture says. So if faith is just wishful thinking... You can never know whether or not you're sinning. You're just just guessing at everything in life. But faith is a a rock-solid truth. And so you need to be convinced about what you're doing and walk in it. Now, what happens if you were wrong? Well, God has grace. (laughs) I'm glad for that. He has mercy when you're wrong. How many of you, show of hands, and nobody can keep their hand down at this point. That's why I'm asking this question. How many of you have been wrong at some point in your life? You better raise your dang hands or I'm walking out there and raising them for you, right? We have all, wow, they're waving back there. <laughs> this is really bad. Okay, so, so we, we have all been wrong in our life, but here's the beauty. God's showing us grace and he's growing us. And we learn and we get better and all of that is beautiful. So we're supposed to be confident in our faith. We walk by faith, a sound, sure, confident trust in God. Lastly, Paul said this. He said, having been filled with the fruit, it's on the screen, having been filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So small discernment experiment in interpreting the word of God. This is fun. We've talked about discernment. We've, what we have to do is we have to weigh information, and then we have to make a wise choice of what the information says. And this section of the verse is really important for that. There are two ways that we might look at this line. The first, which is, seems to be the most common, not among scholars, just 
most common among people as I hear them talk about it. Um, The first is that everything we do is to the glory of God, uh, and that's true. Is it not true? Everything we do, uh, at least it's supposed to be to the glory of God. Amen? So we're supposed to do that. But this is actually not what Paul meant by this line. So we're using discernment. We've weighed the information. Now we're going to see what this actually says. The second way of reading this and the right way of reading it says that we are to abound in love. That's the first part of the verse. By a way of knowledge and discernment. That's what love is. So that we can discriminate well and therefore walk by true faith, which is... And we're not talking about saving faith here. We're talking about living faith. We're talking about righteousness in God's sight, right? So through this faith here, uh, it is a result of being filled with the fruit of righteousness that came through King Jesus. How many of you know that you are righteous because of King Jesus? That's it. It's no other way. Now, here's what's really important. The sacrificial act of our Lord is what Paul appears to be saying brings glory and praise to God the Father. You see, if you read this just one way, based on a truth that you know, we should do everything to the glory of God, you miss the treasure. The treasure that's found in this passage is because Jesus was willing to sacrifice and die, God is glorified immediately. God is glorified because of what he does. How many of you know that if we did not exist, God would still be glorified? He's good. He's faithful. He is God. And so what's happening here is actually us drawing our attention back to the text of Scripture and realizing God is worthy of praise because he's God, because of what he does. Everything he does brings glory to the Father. So the reason that I believe this interpretation is correct, again, is because it, it's all hinging on God and not me. He's going to be glorified. He doesn't need my help. He wants me to glorify him, and so I will do that. So we are simply to trust him. He's the one who makes us righteous. Okay, now we're going to turn to Hosea. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Hosea. Uh, we are in, um, well, it, it will be on the screen. But So in Hosea, this is, this is just a fun way to understand discernment. Chapter 14, verse 9, here's what God's Word says. Whoever is wise, we're going to see the standard for godly discernment here. Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the righteous will walk in them, but transgressors will stumble in them. So what are the wise and discerning supposed to know according to this passage? Well, apart from the whole book of Hosea teaching us that, right? uh, It's really what we're summing it up to say, or what the writer is summing it up to say, is this. That God's ways, the Lord's ways, are right. That's an amazing thing. When you have wisdom and when you have discernment, what conclusion you come to is God's right. (laughs) I like that. It makes it simple. God is right. Uh, We don't need to spend all this time trying to find another conclusion. I'm not sure how long this takes, though, for each and every one of us. Um, Or even if in this life we can arrive at this revelation in all things. There may be areas in your life where you say, I believe that God's ways are right. And then there are going to be other areas in your life that you go, I like my way better. 
<laughs> um, but it's still true, God's ways are right. Sometimes coming to this revelation requires time. Whatever it is that brings us to this truth, church, uh, the truly wise and discerning will always begin with that foundation. God is right. Second, it leads to the fact that the righteous will walk in them. Ethan brought up something very important in his talk on the Holy Spirit this morning. I encourage you to go back there uh, and, and listen to it. It'll be on the web. But you have to understand that, uh, like what Ethan was saying, this is not an automatic thing here. Jose isn't saying that God's people don't mess up. How many of you know that's true? How many of you are liars? And you just messed up. So life is good, right? So, so we mess up. Instead, what Hosea is communicating is that if you believe God's ways are right, won't you go after those ways? Aren't those the ways you want to pursue? You're like, I have discerned that that is right, and you're going to go after what is right. Now, uh, again, that doesn't mean we don't go after what is wrong at times. The reason why we do that is, well, because we want to. <laughs> um, but that doesn't make it right. We just, we just choose to do things our own way. We have to remember the righteous will remember the path of God and they will return to, the, to that path. Powerful truths. Proverbs 10.29, audience participation here. Um, the way of the Lord is a stronghold to the upright, but ruin to the workers of iniquity. Show of hands, how many of you want a stronghold versus, uh, versus uh, ruin? Stronghold over ruin. Awesome. Now, asking you another question. How many of you always think God's ways are right and your ways are bad? Less people raising their hands. Here's the point. God's ways are always right. They are the stronghold. Your way will lead to ruin. Isn't it funny? We all want the stronghold. We just want to get there our way. God goes, no. Right? It's a cosmic tongue. I don't know how he does it, right? But anyway, so the point is, is that it, you can't, you want the strong, we all want this. We all want to live rightly. We all want, want to live in security. We all want to have the peace of the Lord, but we also want him to just do it while we do life our way. It's not going to work that way, okay? It's just not how it works. Okay, so uh, every one of us wants it God's way. We just need to submit, okay? So God's ways are right. The righteous walk in them. And finally, Hosea says that transgressors will stumble in the ways of the Lord. Notice that it doesn't say that they won't try. It also doesn't say they can't attempt to try. These are the absurd notions of, of certain beliefs in the church today, right? Uh, sometimes we, we interpret that the word of God says that, well, dead means dead. Yeah, dead does mean dead in a spiritual sense, but not in the sense you mean it to mean, right? There are many people who try to do the ways of the Lord. But until you are declared righteous by King Jesus, it doesn't matter. Your good deeds will be filthy rags perpetually. It's the way it works, okay? And so what Hosea is actually getting to here, what he's pointing out, is an identity, not so much a cause and effect. Think walking by faith versus walking by sight. Think living by the Spirit versus living by the flesh. Uh, here, it's simply being righteous in contrast to being a transgressor. The word Isaiah uses for this word, uh, his synonym is sinner. That's just how Isaiah would phrase it. The point is that those who love, seek wisdom and knowledge, 
and then decide, make choices that are good choices. Um, Those who abound in knowledge and discernment, those who can discriminate between right and almost right, will believe that God's ways are good and they'll choose them. Not flawlessly, so please hear me. I'm not, talking about, I'm not talking about sinless perfection. I'm not suggesting that you can't do what is right either. Okay? Isn't it fascinating? We argue things like, um, well, if you're telling me that, that sinless perfection is a possibility, then you're just absolutely wrong right off the bat. And then I respond with, the Bible says that when you're tempted, God says he always provides a way out. So what does that mean? That means you don't have to sin. And that means he's given you power. It doesn't mean you do it, so stop blaming God and stop blaming your nature and start owning up, right? This is the product of our world. We just look at it and we go, you know the reason why I sin? God did it. <laughs> what? The devil made me do it. The ge- <laughs> Listen, the devil is sneaking, he's prowling around, he's seeking those who may devour. But 99.9% of the time, the devil doesn't care who you are. You're not big enough for him to care. Oh my goodness, Nathan, that's heart-wrenching. What are you saying? You know that the devil is not omniscient like God is? He's not everywhere that God is. He can't hear you when you're yelling at him. (laughs) It's just amazing, right? He is not listening to you. You're not that important. He might want you dead. He does. But it's unbelievable how we do this. So the devil made me do it. It's my nature. How about you just knock it off? How about we just look in the mirror and go, guess who screwed up today? That guy, right? That's what we need to get to. Instead, the devil's confused us, and he's got everybody arguing about sinless perfection or if we're going to be perpetual sinners for the day uh, until the day of the Lord. We're missing the daggone point. The point is God said, don't do it. And I can say, yes, sir. Or I can say, but it's fun, Lord. And he'll say, no. Okay, so really embrace that and argue with me if you want to on Facebook. That would be fun. (laughs) Our final passage is Hebrews chapter 5, verses 11 through 14. Turn there. Hebrews chapter 5, verses 11 through 14. Um, In this, we're going to find an integral link between maturity, discernment, and that dreaded word, effort. The writer of Hebrews says this, concerning him, that is Jesus, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not accustomed to the word of righteousness. For he is an infant. Those are nice words. But solid food is for the mature, who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. The church today needs an honest assessment concerning its knowledge. But here's what's going to happen. We will be weighed and measured, and we will be found wanting. We know very little with all that we have access to. We are over-sermonized. We can read any Bible in any translation at any point. As a matter of fact, it'll read it to you. (laughs) And we go, just can't seem to find time. Everybody's looking at their shoes all of a sudden. What's happening here? I need some eyes here. Okay? So isn't that funny how that works? 
We are supposed to be a people who, who know a thing about God. But I think we're much like the writer of Hebrews, uh, much like the people the writer of Hebrews was addressing. We need an honest assessment concerning our knowledge, uh, where we're lacking and where we need to study more. If our excuse is that this knowledge is the work of a professional Christian uh, and it's not our own, then we need to repent. You don't get to stand before God someday and say, Nathan didn't tell me that. (laughs) Nathan doesn't know a lot of what you think Nathan might know, right? So it's it's your responsibility. You gotta you're hungering and thirsting after righteousness, amen. I mean, we we want King Jesus, don't we? We should pursue him, right? With everything we are. Okay, so we're to study to show ourselves approved, and that applies to everybody. The people receiving this letter had also, the scripture says, become dull of hearing, which implies that they once heard, that's true, and that they had returned, there's language here that's very powerful, they had returned to the state of unbeliever. Matthew 13, 15 and Acts 28, 27 use this dull of hearing language for those who had rejected God. The reason I bring this up is because like a muscle, if you don't continually listen to God's word, your ears will atrophy, just like your biceps and triceps, right? You will atrophy. Uh, Don't fall for the lie that once you accept Jesus, it's just smooth sailing to some great by and by someday. Did we ever tell you that the sign-up sheet for the Christian life is a sign-up for death? Die to yourself. Well, that's not fun. It is fun if you'll die to yourself. Because God's ways are life. God's ways are righteousness. God's ways are pure and good. We just keep convincing ourselves our way is better. Because we want to do things the way we want to do things. The standard is that we all ought to be teachers. The standard is that we all ought to be teachers. Uh, That's really interesting. Becoming a teacher is a lot of work. Uh, And by the way, that work never ends. How many teachers do we have in the room? uh, Raise your hand if you would. Teachers, Trent's like, I'm not raising my hand very high. Anyway, so so I'll just call you out by name. Anyway, (laughs) so we have teachers. How much work is being a teacher? Just the look on their face is like, oh my gosh. Okay, so it's a lot of work. Do you have to do continual education? forever, right? This is what it means as a Christian. You're going to learn. You're going uh, to be equipped and able to share that information because all are supposed to go into the world and make disciples of all nations. And guess what? You're going to keep learning. You're going to keep learning because we don't get it all right the first time. We're going to keep learning because we gain better insights from somebody with more wisdom and better discernment. We're going to keep growing in this just like a teacher would. So that's the standard that we're all being called to inside of this. Now, does that mean that everybody in this room ought to be a teacher inside of the church? The answer is no. James 3.1 says, let not many of you become teachers. Actually, it's a warning. Don't, Don't do it. And here's why. You're going to be held to a stricter judgment. This is not fun. A stricter judgment because you are opening people's eyes and in some ways closing them if you're not careful. Again, the point is not being literal teachers. It's about being fit for service. So I'm going to wrap all this up by saying this. We 
need to ask the question, are we fit for service? Are we fit for service? And I'm not asking the question uh, corporately right now. I'm asking the question individually. You should look in the mirror. You should ask this in your private prayer time. You should say, Lord, am I fit for service? I think most of you already know the answer to the question. Here's why I think you already know and why I think you would answer in the negative. Because I get countless uh, emails or countless uh, text messages that talk about how can I get out of the Christian rut that I'm in? How can I move forward in my Christian life? How can I grow in all of this? What you're asking for there is the ability to become fit for service, okay? To become better in your faith. So people are asking this all the time. And then when the resources are given, when the offer is extended to sit down and to walk through this and to learn what it means to be a follower of Jesus in a deeper way, people are like, my life is really busy right now. I've really got a lot going on and it's hard for me to make this work in my schedule and that work in my schedule and that work in my schedule. Is it any wonder why Jesus said, leave the boat guys and follow me, right? Because it, it does take a lot of work to do what we're talking about. So you can want to uh, be fit for service, but realize it's going to come with a lot of work. It's going to come with a lot of surrender. Do we acknowledge that God's ways are right? We need to be answering that in the affirmative every day. And where we disagree, we need to humble ourselves and do His will anyway. Based on the choices uh, that the church at large is making, so now I'll zoom out to corporate church, based on the choices that the church at large are making, I believe that the answer to this question is a resounding no. We are not fit for service. So what do we do to change this? The answer according to the last line in Hebrews, the answer to everything that I've said today is we practice discernment. We practice discernment, which makes us genuinely loving people, okay? Practice discernment to be genuinely loving people. So let's just put this in a real world context. Let's just kind of talk to you about your, your friends, your world, your life. If your friend comes to you and says, uh, I'm struggling with this particular thing in my life and I don't know. I don't know whether I'm walking in sin. I don't know what's actually happening. What you need to do if you're going to practice discernment, is you need to get down in the dirt with your friend and you need to discover what the truth is, okay? You need to find it out. You guys need to discuss it. You need to talk it out. You need to lay it out there, make a case for it, okay? And you need to both commit to the fact that you're making a decision about something. You're saying, based on the information we have, based on our study, we are convicted that this is true, and then you make that decision and you begin to walk in it, okay? This is using proper discernment to walk in holiness. Let's say you have a buddy or you have somebody in your life that is walking in a blatant sin. Discernment is not to say, let me hear your story and tell you it's all going to be okay. It's not discernment. That's American Christianity that's not doing anything. What you do is you listen to what's going on, you say, Okay, it seems clear you're walking in sin. So what are you going to do about it? If their response is, I'm not going to do anything about it. I'm going to double down. I'm just going to keep doing what I want to do. Then you need to respond with discernment, which is taking on information, deciding in the affirmative or the negative, and then speaking 
you have to talk to people, okay? And you have to say, you're wrong. Can we exercise this? Let's just try this real quick. I want you to say this on three. You're going to say, you're wrong. I know that this is heartbreaking language to use in a, a American culture today. One, two, three. You're wrong, okay? You guys love this language when it's the opposite political party, but nobody wants to say it when it's sin. You voted what? You're wrong. You're walking in sin. Oh, well, I'm sorry. We don't even know what we're doing anymore, church. The church is not walking in discernment, which means the church is not walking in love. There's a thousand ways that we can employ this truth. So, at the beginning of the year, um, I told you that I wanted to do, produce these series of one-off messages that are just centered uh, around where I feel the church is. One of the things that I discussed in week one, or the thing that I discussed in week one, that I believe the church needs to understand is um, what our lives are all about, and they are all about blessing the Lord. We're supposed to bless the Lord. In week two, I told you why we're supposed to bless the Lord, and that included God's character. Uh, it included many things, but it includes God's character. It includes uh, uh, amazing truths about who God is that should provoke us to bless God. We should be marked by our praise, marked by our worship of God. This week, I just want you guys to realize that if the church doesn't get its act together when it comes to um, taking information in, weighing it well, according to God's word, which is right, and then making proper decisions, and then walking out those decisions. If we don't get this church, America is going to go the way of Europe, the way Europe did 50 years ago. It became predominantly atheistic. Uh, churches were sold, and most people just put businesses inside of those churches. It's already starting. It's already starting. You know that in the 90s, when they did surveys and asked the question, how many, do you consider yourself a Christian? They even got specific and said things like born-again Christians. And the answer to that was like some 80%, absurd number in America, which, I mean, if you're a reasonably thinking person, any wisdom and discernment, you know that's horse crap, right? <laughs> but people say they are, right? Lots of people say they're Christians, okay? Now they ask that question. I know you didn't expect to hear that in church, but whatever. So, um, well, for me, you did. Anyway, so they asked that question. 40% said they're Christians now. What happened in 20 years? Nothing happened in 20 years. Finally, the real Christians are just saying what they think, and the rest of them dropped off. But if we're not careful, we will atrophy. The writer of Hebrews called the church out there in this. So you become dull. You're not listening anymore. You ought to be teachers. You need milk again. It's like we need Billy Graham to come in every week and just preach the salvation message. I love Billy Graham, but, but that's, that's how sad the church has become. Just get saved every week. How many of you were raised in a church like that where it was basically just an altar call every week and everybody came and gave their life to Jesus again? I always wondered, why in the world didn't it take, Right? Why? Like, I thought he was like a god of power. Apparently not, not over you. You're just that good of a sinner, right? So 40% are confessing that they're Christians in today's world. And that number is going to continue to drop if the church doesn't get 
on board with the ways of the Lord, (laughs) right? His ways are right. We use wisdom on board with the ways of the Lord. That was really good, Bettina. I don't, sometimes I make good rhymes. Anyway, I'm not going to be a rapper anytime soon. Anyway, so it's just, (laughs) Kanye East can be quiet back there. So anyway, okay, so Barney's nickname is Kanye East, just so you know. So I'm just, I just want you to hear that as we go into this year, we need to gain discernment. That's going to come with effort. We're going to have to work at this, church. We're going to have to work at it. But here's my promise. I'll work with you. And if you'll work with me, we'll both grow. We'll both grow. We need to grow, church. We need to be able to, we need to, be able to look at something in this culture and say that's objectively wrong. We can't do it. Well, I'm afraid I might offend so and so and so and so. You know Jesus offended a lot of people, right? Man, how did he offend them? And here's the, here's the response. He only re- offended the religious zealots. Give me a break. Jesus offended people who didn't like truth and righteousness. That's who he offended. That's who he offended. People who are opposed to truth, people who are opposed to righteousness were offended by Jesus. So please, we need to get back on this. We need to use discernment. We need to walk in what is right. We need to know the difference between what is right and what is almost right. (laughs) Amen?